and particularly given that we're relying on our technology now more than ever to continue whatever's left of normal in our daily lives, we need to be more vigilant now than we have ever been before. Oh, fuck but off, it's... Dave. Oh, <laughs> Steady. It's Fuck true, up. though. I know. Crow, is the pressure getting to you? We're all Maybe it's the straw that broke the camel's back. Oh, my hey, goodness. I haven't left the house. What? I'm bored of lentils. <laughs> I can't get eggs. You're bored of lentils? What's wrong with you, woman? Smashing Security, Episode 173. 5G Fiascos, Zoom Gloom, and Butt Biometrics, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security episode 173. My name's Graham Cluley. I'm Carol Terrio. Hello, Carol. Hello, Graham. <laughs> I have a bit of malaise today. Look, sorry. sorry what? I, I, what? What's going on? Well, I don't know. I've uh, not left my house in a while. Probably oh. going crazy. Probably. So apologies to everybody, but uh, you get what you get. Oh, well. <laughs> we have possibly the perfect remedy. Oh, yeah. In the form of a special guest joining us today, he's returned to the show. He's a favourite of the podcast. It's David McClelland. Hello, hello, everyone. How are you doing, you two? <laughs> did you just wiggle your butt when you said that? How did you know that? How did you know? Because <laughs> you told me why. <laughs> okay, so just for the avoidance of doubt, for the first time, this is a trial for me. I am doing my podcast recording standing up because I don't feel as though I'm able to be as expressive as I'd like to be when I'm sat down in a chair. So right now I'm waving my arms around, wiggling my bum around a little bit, doing whatever I can to try and lift the spirits <laughs> in lockdown Britain. Aww. This is perfect. Just to pose with my malaise, this is going to make an excellent show. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Carol, at the end of the show, we've got a featured interview with Barry McMahon from LastPass. But what else is coming up on today's show? First, thanks to this week's sponsors, LastPass. Its support helps us give you this show for free. Now, on yet another Stuck at Home special, Graham looks at the stinky backside of surveillance. David is going to gasp about the latest on video conferencing snafus. And I'm jumping into the conspiracy tank to find out what sharing bogus stuff online gets us. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. See? Smiling. (laughs) Good. Marvellous. Well, chums, chums, I want (laughs) to talk to you about some new technology which has been invented. Something which could change the face of Britain and indeed the world when it comes to authentication, biometrics, all of these things. In fact, first of all, let's let's take a trip back in time because in 2011, remember those halcyon days, 2011, (laughs) long before... Pre-Brexit, pre-Trump, pre-Covid. I find it hard to remember what life was like a month ago, to be honest, but if you remember... Chumba Wumba on the radio. (laughs) Wumba. In 2011, researchers developed a system that could recognise a person by their backside when they took a seat. This sounds like a really dodgy Channel 5 television show, if you ask me. (laughs) No, these these were Japanese researchers who discovered that precise measurement of a person's posterior, its contours, and the way the person applied pressure when they sat on a seat, was able to recognise people with 98% accuracy. So basically when someone plops down on a sofa, they can recognise who's sitting there? <laughs> they plop. Um, well, 
<laughs> well, yeah, that's what they were saying. And the idea was that this could have all kinds of applications. For instance, maybe this could be something which could be used in offices to securely unlock PCs. So in place of passwords or facial recognition <laughs> or touch ID, you would simply sit in your chair and that would unlock your computer because it would take your bum print. This is bottom biometrics. It is. Yeah, it after is. Christmas, it has no idea who you are. <laughs> but now, but that was 2011. But get this, a few years later, US mm. scientists were bragging that they'd made other discoveries. What they had found was that there was bacteria in your digestive tract, which leaves a clear genetic signature in your, um, in your, uh, Penis? In your, in, no, in, in, in your poop, right? Uh -huh. So they could say with 86% accuracy in their tests, they could match poop to people in their study. And there were concerns at the time that this could be a potential privacy concern because, of course, people are donating poop for scientific research. And, you know, there are presumably large databases and storehouses full of poop where it's studied for medical reasons and potentially people could identify whose poop was whose Go and ahead. that could yes are a thousand points of light going to come together in a very unappealing way what? because you're talking about poop and seats yeah on a security ah. podcast ah yes <laughs> because what i want to talk to you about today is what boffins at stanford university have announced which is a new smart toilet gadget. For God's sake! <laughs> and this, this has a really good positive application. This gadget, which they say can be retrofitted to any ordinary loo, can potentially detect early warning signs of cancer and other serious diseases, right? Now, I'm a little bit nervous of this kind of thing because I remember writing... <laughs> Why, do you want to be caught with your pants down? <laughs> I, I remember writing, I think it was back in 2014, about a smart toilet which could be hacked. And what was discovered was that hackers could basically hijack control of this smart toilet via its app, make it repeatedly flush, raise water usage and your utility bills. But more than that, they could actually remotely and unexpectedly open and close the lid or activate the... <laughs> I thought you were going to say send the poop back. <laughs> well, they can activate the B-Day or the air dry function, which could cause you some... <laughs> Drying your oh. poo. <laughs> Discomfort. It's not just about poo, Carol. You don't just use the... Maybe you do. I have to say, I love, I love these kind of toilets. Whenever I've travelled to the Far yes. East, uh, one of the most exciting things is going to the bathroom in a, in a Japanese or in a Taiwanese hotel where I've stayed in the past, and these washlets oh. with the remote controls the size of a 105-letter you know, QWERTY keyboard. I have no idea what buttons I'm pressing, but boy, is it fun. You get a joystick as well um, on some of them. Guys, yeah. I couldn't disagree more. Oh, really? You what? are in your most vulnerable position you could possibly be. <laughs> Hey, not only are you sitting down, but yes, Graham, people do poo on loose, right? You could be mid-delivery and you're you're sitting there pressing buttons and splashing water and running electronics all over your ass. And you think it's fun. I actually went on honeymoon to uh, Tokyo and I have to say I added a whole new dimension to our honeymoon the lose over there. That was oh my God. first experience. And I thought, oh my God. this is actually... Have I, you looked on Pornhub Premium to see I, if that's a genre? I didn't like the warming things. You know, you can control the temperature. I didn't like having yeah. a warm seat 
but I like it quite cool. But, but the rest of it, I thought, no, this is actually, this is something which they've adopted in Asia, but actually we could have a lot more of in the West. I have been to a washlet showroom in London. I worked on a Ooh. TV show a few years ago and we went and filmed a special feature there uh, because some of these toilets were smartphone control. They were yes. connected loos, which I guess <laughs> opens them up to some potential abuse. Which is what's happened before with some of these smart loos. Now, this new gadget made by Stanford University, it can be fitted to any ordinary loo, but it also comes with this companion smartphone app, and apparently it will use artificial intelligence to analyse your poop and urine as it passes through. Oh no, does shit hit the fan? Yeah, but <laughs> in some ways, I think that's quite clever, because is it in yeah. Germany where they have a shelf where they mm -hmm. expect yeah. you to do it by hand, as yeah. it were, to analyse no. things? And I, I think, you know, I'd probably prefer if some app was doing it instead. I think the doctor probably would prefer it too. Well, <laughs> yeah, yes, I suppose. Yes, yes, I suppose so. Um, now, Sanjeev Gambier is the Stanford professor behind this toilet gadget. Mm -hmm. And he thinks it's going to be a big hit. He says, because the, the thing about his smart toilet gadget is that unlike wearables, you can't take it off. Everyone uses the bathroom. There's no avoiding it, he says. And uh, it also has this brilliant disease detecting element to it. So they're not just going to track your face? No. Well, this is the thing, right? Because I was thinking, well, look, if, it, if it's going to collect data about the state of your poop, what happens if you go around a friend's house and you've got a bit of a grotty tummy, right? And you think, oh, crumbs, you know, everything's wrong. There's no video camera clue. Um, well, actually. <laughs> yes. Oh, my oh, God. No. Well, yes, there is. Oh, there is. my God. Well, yes. And I'll explain why, right? So if you, if you went around to I'm a friend's... I'm inside my shirt. So <laughs> if you went to a friend's loo and you were feeling a bit rough in the guts and you did a bit of redecoration of their porcelain, <laughs> you, oh you could use their device, right? You, you could use their device. I mean, the device might think it was the owner of the house, right? And so the way they get around that is there is a fingerprint scanner on the flush handle. And, and get this, this is two-factor authentication. It also takes what's called your anal print, which is it captures... <laughs> It captures with the video camera uh, stills of, and I quote here, the distinctive creases in the lining of the... I can't believe... I can't say the word. <laughs> I can't say the word. Anyway, the point is that it is collecting all of this information. So it knows who you are, just like a fingerprint. Apparently, there is a thing called a, an anal print as well. This, this might get cut from the episode, but... I wonder if there's some people that actually would enjoy having that bit of them mm. captured by video. Well, the answer is yes, obviously. <laughs> well, the device apparently will use machine learning and it will then classify your dump according to what's called the Bristol stool scale. Are you yeah. familiar with this? <laughs> yes. An old boss explained it to me. Right. I think it goes, is it from one to six or something? There are different types of poop. Yep. If, you, if you've been a it's parent, a you may be website. familiar with this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, I, if I was a resident of Bristol, I was a student there, I do find it a little bit offensive they've called it the Bristol stool scale, I have to say. But uh, there were some bits which got Now, all of this data, of course, is being collected. And what do you think is happening with it? Well, according to the researchers, it is securely stored and analysed in an encrypted cloud server. So that's all right then. Nothing to worry about there. Nothing can possibly go wrong. So I think this has some medical uses. I think maybe in some ways this is a cool idea because not many people would rip their existing loo out and replace it 
with one just for these features, although clearly David, uh, you know, has been to the showroom. Um, but <laughs> but I, I think it's an interesting biometric. And I just wanted to talk about something which wasn't coronavirus related. And I think maybe this is a way of the future. Clearly, there's lots of interesting medical information which can be gathered from what exits your body and from examination of that. And it could, you know... Give oh, early okay. warning of things, but is it is it a price we are prepared to pay? I don't know. I want to ask. Can I ask David a question? Yes, David. When you go and try out lose in a showroom, mm-hmm. I don't think what. You... No, no. As like as a journalist, <laughs> as an expert in the area, I don't think he tries do you... them out in the showroom. Carol. No, but no, but how do you try? No, no. But say people, if you're talking about comfort and toilet comfort and all this, some people must try seats out. What do you do? Do you go in a showroom and just sit down and pretend? Okay, so I have actually witnessed a few different toilet launches over the last couple of years or so. <laughs> Your job's so glamorous. I've been to some uh, high-end home renovation shows where various manufacturers are showing off their washlets and you know their state-of-the-art washlets. loos. Is that the is name? Wash- is that the a term? washlet is the technical term for them, indeed. Oh, yes. For toilets. Well, well, for the toilet seats that have got okay. uh, that have got this stuff built into oh, them. Right. Um, yeah. And typically what they do is that, that there is a, a perspex sheet that goes over the seat so you can see um, <laughs> you can see what comes out from the back of the loo and, uh, and where the water is squirting is and hole, so on. Though. So you're not... Well, well, no. So, so you're not actually sitting on the loo to test oh. it, but you're, you're seeing all of the technology uh, doing what it would normally do were a person sat on the toilet at right. that point. But a perspex sheet stops you from getting splashed in the face, <laughs> which would be very wrong. You have to pay extra for that. <laughs> David, your job. It, He's it's amazing. Awesome. It's awesome. It's the, it's yeah, you should write a book just about today I did this. <laughs> And trying to keep a straight face and talk about it um, respectfully as well. And in all seriousness, With I was no at puns. an event uh, <laughs> late late last year mm-hmm. or so. And a lot of these devices are being installed for vulnerable people, uh, people who are um, resident in nursing homes and oh, so on, yeah. who maybe can't take as good care of themselves uh, as would be ideal. These do um, do a good job of that as well. So there is a very serious side to what some of these washlets and high-tech toilets do do. Thank you. You said do do. Uh, was that deliberate Uh, thank you for raising the tone David after we plumbed new depths (laughs) Uh, David what's your story this week Aha. Well, so look, for a chunk of my work, my my audience mm. uh, for, is primarily general consumer audience, certainly not a, a tech first audience. And over the last few weeks since we've all been in this thing together, I've been talking on the radio and writing in the papers. I'm a gadget doctor in the metro now, you know. Um, Dr. So, McClellan. Yeah, great title. Great I love title. it. <laughs> Yay. Um, but I've been chatting about, guess what, how about how all of these video chat and video conferencing apps have suddenly become part of our essential support network for keeping us in touch with family members, keeping us sane by keeping us in touch with friends and hopefully yeah. helping us keep hold of our jobs as well. Mm. Um, the thing is, is that but a month ago, most people, again, non-techers in particular, had never, ever heard of apps Mm. like House Party or Zoom. It's safe to say the public certainly has now heard about them. And me, along with many, many other tech journalists, we've all been doing our best, as I know you you have as well, to try and encourage safe use of them up and down the land. Mm. Unfortunately, lots of hackers and mischief makers are also now very, very well aware of these apps, given their sudden prominence, and are ramping up their efforts so... 
the word is spreading that if you're Zooming, you need to do a password. Mm. Okay, that's all good. But mischief making might be enough for some bad guys. Some will want to make money out of their malicious acts, and the password thing isn't going to get in their way. So we've seen a new trend emerge. In fact, Trend Micro has just issued <laughs> a report itself in which a number of fake Zoom installers have emerged that, alongside installing the Zoom video conferencing software, also bundle in some nasties as well. So one of the unwanted bits um, of malware is a coin miner. Now, these little blighters blitz your CPU and your graphics card and contribute to a crypto mining effort that lines somebody else's virtual wallet at your CPU cost. Um, not a good thing, but certainly we've seen a big rise in these over the last two or three years. And, you know, the first that many consumers know about it is the fact that the, the fans on their PC or their yeah. Mac is whirring away. They can be delivered via web browsers as well, even visiting some websites. Uh, that there will install some nasty stuff or just use some CPU cycles. Another thing that we've seen as well is that alongside the Zoom installers, we're seeing rats, uh, these remote access Trojans, mm. which give hackers full access to your PC or your Mac and goodness knows what kind of havoc they can wreak and with ag that again access. these are being bundled with installers for Zoom. Do we know if these installers do really install Zoom at the end to make well, it appear more legitimate or not? It certainly seems as though they do, and that's right. part of how they get in yeah. with stealth. Because, you know, as as someone who maybe, uh, I go, well, I'm doing a Zoom meeting for the first time later on, let's just do mm. a search and, you know, uh, type in Zoom installer, and I find it. I don't know what the proper website is to install Zoom from, so I, I download it from a third-party source, not from the Zoom website. Yeah. Zoom is running, so as far as I'm concerned, it's been successful. Yeah. Mm. Might be using quite a lot of CPU, but well, because exactly. I've never used Zoom before, maybe that's what it does. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you, it may not even appear suspicious that your computer is maybe running a little bit slower or the fan is going yeah. hectic. I got to say, though, as well, like most Zoom meetings that I've joined haven't been set up by me. I just get a link from someone. Exactly. Be careful. I get it. At the moment, we're all improvising a little mm. bit, particularly those of us who aren't used to working from home. And that means that we're cutting corners, maybe some of the normal processes and uh, you know measures to protect ourselves that we would normally take we're not doing because we're just, you know, being a little bit more reactive. But the thing is, it's exactly that that the bad guys are looking to exploit at the moment. And particularly given that we're relying on our technology now more than ever to continue whatever's left of normal in our daily lives. We need to be more vigilant now than we have ever been before. Oh, fuck but off, it's... Dave. Oh, <laughs> Steady. It's true, up. though. I know. Carol, is the pressure getting to you? Maybe it's the straw that broke the camel's back. Oh, my hey, goodness. I haven't left the house. What? I'm bored of lentils. <laughs> I can't get eggs. You're bored of lentils? What's wrong with it, woman? <laughs> I just, I, no, I'd like another bean, you know? When you're bored of lentils, you're bored of life, Carol. Uh, You've heard the saying. It's just, we worry about a lot of things right now. <laughs> so what, yeah. your, your answer, Carol, is not to worry about Zoom? <laughs> 
Not to worry about these malicious no, installs. Not to worry I, about. I think I think it'd be very in. nice if we could end this with some advice rather than say just be more vigilant. Never. Just I think actually people, you know, if you're setting up a Zoom, I think absolutely go to the right website to download it. Go Don't to just the Zoom type website. in Zoom in Google right. and take the first advertisement. Yeah, but that's how people do everything. I, I, mean, I know. Not to mention my in-laws because apparently they listened to the episode where I talked about how I'd got them a Facebook <laughs> portal and wants <laughs> only only at the moment social distancing is preventing me having to have that discussion with them but you talk about them with love as i talk about exactly. my family with exactly exactly but i think it's not unlikely that they visit websites by typing the name of the website into the google search engine rather mm-hmm. than the url and then in clicking on yeah and then and then clicking click link rather just than randomly somewhere yeah. on the page exactly mm. uh, and i think that is the advice yes and it is it is difficult. It is confusing, particularly when, you know, some web browsers, you open them at the first page you're presented with, by default, your homepage is a search engine, you know, rather yes. than mm. typing in the URL. Uh, and again, this is advice as much for non-techies as it is for techies. You know, this is for, you know, my wife. This is for, you know, my dad, you mm. know, may have been invited to a Zoom conference to join in a family chat with, you know, family members finding it very, very difficult to get together mm. um, at the moment. So, you know, as frustrating as it is, Carol, and I totally get it you know <laughs> you're right these are i know i i know i'm right i know i'm right i must i must admit while i was researching my story graham yes i did have a look see if there were any facebook portal security snafus over the last week or so <laughs> and i don't think there I have been i couldn't find no. anything so far you see you know. i am vindicated once more oh, oh yeah vindicated yeah one week one week down no security snafu well done clue yeah it's working very well there you go i think you'll all be you'll you and sucks are in bed together you're, I, yeah you'll yeah. all have them soon you'll all have them yeah you count the days <laughs> carol what's your story for us this week so, 5G, it is time to don our tinfoil hats because 5G is here, or at least for many of us, it's coming, if not already here. And lots of us are excited about it. It's going to speed up the internet. I've read exponentially faster download and upload speeds. Dave, what do you think about that? <laughs> mm, no, there's a, there, there's a lot that's exponential at the moment, but 5G upload and download speeds isn't one of them. <laughs> okay, so a bit faster. And that is a good thing because right now a lot of us are reliant upon mobile connectivity, especially mm-hmm. when working at home. A month or so ago, uh, the International Commission of Non-Ionizing Radiation Protection. How's that for a name? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the ICNIRP, just to make it quick and snappy. They're great fun guys, I have to say. They know how to throw a party. <laughs> well, they may not be fun, but they are a Germany-based scientific body that assesses the health risk of radio broadcasts. And, and they're in charge of setting the limits on exposure to radiation. Okay. Now, they came out um, at the early March saying 5G is safe. So this is all good news because um, we are hoping that this might calm some of the existing conspiracy theories around 5G. Snopes, the truth sayer in most things, if not all, yes. 
they've addressed a few of these conspiracy theories. There was one uh, claim that a cell tower workers were required to wear hazmat suits while working on 5G equipment. That was considered false by Snopes. Right. Um, another one was uh, that Japan was banning the development of 5G over health concerns. Again, false, right? They're actually investing in the technology. Right. So according to this great article in Wired, which you sent me this morning, Graham, mm. RT the media house, has been leading a disinformation campaign against 5G for some time now. And RT, for those who don't know, are basically run by the Kremlin, aren't they? Yes, they're a Russian... Yeah, Russia Today, they used to be called. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the idea that uh, that Wired were implanting was maybe this was trying to hinder the rollout of the technology so that Russia could play catch-up. But whatever whatever the case may be, we know that the Ruskies are pretty au fait with disinformation campaigns. We've seen it for the last few years. So it's no surprise around the time that experts were saying that 5G was safe, some corners of the internet had different ideas. And all this 5G hogwash was already a swilling. So Wired pinpoints the drama kicked off on January 22nd when a Belgian newspaper published an interview with a Dutch GP. And he said 5G is life-threatening and no one knows it. That was what the headline said. Okay. And the GP didn't just claim that 5G was dangerous. He also said it might be linked to coronavirus. Uh, how would that work? What, would, what kind of link would there be? Yeah, he had no proof. Right. He had no proof. Hmm. But this story made the rounds on social. Add to this that there was this video that was making the rounds on like Facebook and Instagram and all these mm-hmm. places showing people in China tearing down a 5G tower. And the title that went with this video was The 5G Tower Was Being Torn Down in an Attempt to Stop the Spread of COVID-19. Okay, virtual huddle huddle. Right, okay. It's safer to virtually huddle at the moment, isn't it? Rather <laughs> exactly, than- <laughs> yes. exactly. Okay. Now, this video was valid, okay? And it was ver- validated by Snopes, but it was filmed months ago and has absolutely no ties to Corona whatsoever. Okay. So this is happening. Then you've got media companies starting to write about, and when I say media, I am actually doing the quote unquote. The bunny ears. Yeah. Daily right. Star. What do you guys call that? Oh, my word. The headline, the headline that they initially put out for this story makes me cry. What did they say? I haven't seen this. What did they I'll say? I'll tell you the headline and then let's hear from David. Come okay. So, so the headline read, fears 5G Wi-Fi networks could be acting as accelerator for disease. This was last week. Really? This was the, the, yeah. the 26th of March, right at, well, you know, just as the number of deaths, just as the, you know, the, the real, uh, not that concern wasn't already starting to spread in the UK by then. But this headline is a technically incorrect, but also just totally inflammatory and irresponsible. Yes. And it gets worse. The article gets even worse. So, right. you know, the next piece says... There are fears that the UK could be hit harder by coronavirus because of the rollout of the 5G network. And in the article, they have quotes, not from scientists or experts, but an activist and a philosophy lecturer at the Isle of Wight College. And they're saying things like, yeah, this is really bad, but they have no expertise. Well, experts, you know. We, we learned to stop listening to them a couple of years ago, didn't we? Um, so, wait, so, the, so for those who don't know, the Daily Star is, it, it's not the most popular tabloid newspaper in the UK, but it, it's certainly not unpopular. 
No, I checked their circulation. So it's around, I think it was like around 150,000. That's for printed paper, right? That's for and printed, you could imagine uh, someone who's seen a story like that would go and tell their mates if they actually had contact with their mates anymore. I suppose they'd have to WhatsApp yeah. them or something like that instead. We've seen even over uh, the day that we're recording today, there have been moves by some social media networks to uh, control the spread through mm. dark social, as social media managers would call mm. it, of some of these stories, limit the rate at which some of these stories are able to spread through um, shared networks that, you know, I've suddenly got a, a street social network, a, a street WhatsApp group that we didn't have a month ago. It's lovely that it's there, but there are many of these networks up and right. down the country. And, you know, uh, these stories can go very quickly viral if there aren't some controls put in place. Well, you know, the question is, is what, you know, is this actually doing any harm? Right now, we're just seeing a bunch of people sharing some information online, right? But it suddenly kind of goes to a tipping point when people like Woody Harrelson, yes, that Woody Harrelson. From Cheers. Yes, right? So this conspiracy 5G COVID video from China falls into his digital lap. And the dude that he is either watches it or reads the headline and decides to share it on his insta Uh, with his two million followers right i'm not blaming him because he's just doing what a lot of people do he saw a headline or he watched a video he made a snap decision that was either entertaining or valid and he basically sent it to all his followers amanda holden she's a is she celeb grand britain's got Uh, talent judge ironically She's like a TV judge thing. Yeah. Anyway, so she... <laughs> Ironically, yes. Exactly. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I don't... Very she's not really in my echo chamber. But, you know, she spewed some nonsense to her followers online and loads of high-profile semi-celebs seem to do the same kind of thing. Now, what could go wrong? What would be the problem with all this? Well, yes. quite a lot, it turns out. Because people thought that uh, burning mobile phone masks in Birmingham, Merseyside, and Belfast would be a good idea. Some of these mobile towers weren't even 5G. The last number I saw of the totaling the number was 20 mobile phone masks in the UK were either petrol bombed or set alight. We need people to destroy the communications network and cause even more burden on the emergency services at the moment. Fantastic. I'm I'm kicking you off my soapbox and getting it on myself because that's exactly my point. You've got all these communities out there who are reliant on mobile connectivity and they're trapped at home. And that means people can't make phone calls. They can't apply for money, can't order food, can't manage their accounts. Not everybody has a solid broadband connection. Not everybody has broadband. And people may, I, my friend, a friend in Australia, she had just got a new job. Mm -hmm. She got a new computer and Mm -hmm. suddenly uh, COVID hit and she had to work from home. But her new computer was set in such a way that it wouldn't connect to her home Wi-Fi signal. But Uh, all the software was on her computer. So she had to use her cell phone to do the link to, in order to work. Right. And it was a brand new job. And of course, at this time, you know, that's one thing you don't want to lose, you know, lose yeah, is your yeah, job. Yeah, of course. So, so there's lots of people in those kind of scenarios. So this is a big, big deal. Yes. And of course, then people are videoing these arson attacks, putting them on socials and perpetuating the bullshit. And See, now back to I your imagine story. There's, a, there's a follow-on conspiracy about people who are saying this is all nonsense. It's like they're trying to cover up the truth. They're not letting us spread <sighs> our stupid YouTube videos. Yeah. 
Well, so people aren't taking this seriously, right? A joint statement, EE, O2, Vodafone, and 3 all got into a powwow together, which is extremely rare, to say that there was no basis, in fact, that COVID-19 was in any way connected to 5G. Well, they would say that, wouldn't they, Carol? They would say that. They're all part of the one world government, the Illuminati. Okay, now tell me if this helps you. Okay, now keep with that. Keep with your character, okay? So the Vodafone UK CEO, Nick Jeffrey, he's not happy. He condemned the attacks on the telecoms infrastructure and and calling online stories linking coronavirus to 5G utterly baseless. Tell me if this calms you down and and brings you on side. Okay, all right. This is now a matter of national security. Police and counterterrorism authorities are investigating. But rest assured that our mobile and broadband networks remain resilient and that you, your families and businesses, will stay connected. So the people who are burning down the masks, they are now being tarred as terrorists. If He is certainly suggesting that. Yeah. I mean... Where it, I'm, I'm sure they're just a bunch of kids or, well, um, or you know... senior citizens or... Well, anyway. Yeah. People who haven't really thought through things probably, but yes... Or looked at any evidence. Again, it's interesting. The Guardian had an interesting angle on this, saying industry insiders and fat checker experts said basically this was a perfect storm of conditions. So they cite the rapid growth of neighborhood social media groups like Nextdoor and Instagram and like all David these things. David has in his street. In his right. Yeah. But a failure to promote scientific evidence about 5G as well. And you've got a terrified population looking to make sense mm. of this new covid world yeah yeah yeah, totally but stephen powers the national medical director of england uh said that this was the worst kind of fake news just quote i'm absolutely outraged absolutely disgusted that people would be taking action against the very infrastructure that we need to respond to this health emergency it's absolute and utter rubbish so he's not happy oh one of the ways one of the things they're trying to tell people the conspiracists is going look covid19 is spreading just as quickly in cities and even in countries that are yet to roll out 5G. Iran, for example. Ah. Exactly. Iran has no 5G, but Iran is, what, is it number two on the list of number of deaths due to this? It was certainly a very yeah. early frontrunner when it came to deaths. Yeah, I, don't I don't know where, where it stands now, but... at the moment. But, but also there was the allegations that Wuhan was the 5G testbed last year. But actually London was. You know, the Greenwich Peninsula was one of the first main sort of uh, 5G test areas. Yet it still emerged out of out of China. Uh, you know, there's allegations that, that the virus is able to communicate using 5G. What? Which is Sorry? absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, so uh, have have a look at the fullfact.org uh, article yes. on this. And uh, they, they, they talk about some of the allegations that are being made and some of the arguments that the anti-5Gers, who are a uh, very vocal, vehement lot, I have to say, mm. um, are, are making about this and about how 5G, because of the high frequency, high power, it is, um, it's reducing our ability to resist infection. So, you know, that's part of the, uh. the, the Daily Star argument mm. was the fact that it's, uh, it's uh, making it easier for the virus to take hold in us. And if we switch off the 5G networks, then our immunity will all instantly come back. It's, oh. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been asked to talk about 5G and, you know, is, is 5G a threat and all the rest of it? And where I'm at is 
I don't think there's a way, and Graham, you you were making this point um, a moment ago, really, with, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? There is almost no way to convert no. an anti-5G fanatic. The best job I think that I can do with my limited powers is to try and convince people who might be hearing from these 5G fanatics to take ex- to take what they say with a pinch of salt. 5G at the moment is... How many are there, though? these 5G fanatics, like makes up a... Well, in a way, it doesn't matter because they're so vocal and they are so organised, it seems, that there may be far, far more of them, or at least they they appear to be far more numerous than maybe they physically are. But 5G is no different to 4G. It uses, at the moment anyway, pretty much the same technology and and knocking out these cell sites. Obviously, it's inconvenient for those of us who maybe use uh, 4G and 5G for our home broadband or our phone calls, but the same masts are used for, in the UK anyway, the ESN, the Emergency Services Network. This is the closed-off mobile network that emergency services, the people who are trying to save our lives, that we go out every Thursday night and we clap from the rooftops, they're unable to communicate if these mobile signals get knocked out. It gets me so cross. That's a really, really, really important point. What do you think about this? I think some people get this in their feeds, right? Mm-hmm. They'll see some one of these of one of these uh, messages, and yep. it's a bit like the National Enquirer, right? Like you you see it and you think that's so insane. I've got to send that to my my mates. They won't believe this. So maybe counting the number of shares is is assuming that everyone that's sharing it is a bona fide believer, whereas I can imagine sharing something because it shocked me. Yes, but it doesn't really matter how many people uh, don't believe it, because if you forward it, if you share it with a WhatsApp group, for instance, some people will believe it, and they will then spread it on. And so... Oh, I agree, but I think that's the problem. So we have to do better, right? So we have to stop sending stuff that we haven't verified, or we... Yeah. It's like there should be a capture. There should be some kind of check before you can share things with other people on social media. Yeah, like you've read the article. Yes. Have you actually actually scrolled to the bottom of the article? Did you open the article? Or did you just just send it from your feed directly? (laughs) Are you simply forwarding it because the headline or the picture was pretty and you're shocked? Or did you actually scroll to the bottom of the article and read it? Do you know what? We've got a friend, Graham, and yeah, I'm just going to say the line that uh, they give me and you're going to know exactly who it is, right? Whenever I forward anything, I get back. Did you read it? (laughs) Was the accent a bit of a giveaway? It was a bit. (laughs) And I say, of course I did. She goes, good. (laughs) Good. So many of us now are realizing that moving to a fully work from home environment isn't always easy, but LastPass is here to make that transition easier, all without decreasing security. LastPass ensures your employees have secure access to their work applications and provides remote employees the ability to securely share passwords across teams in order to stay on top of critical projects. If you want to learn more, visit lastpass.com forward slash smashing on with the show and welcome back and you join us on our favorite part of the show the part of the show that we like to call pick of the week pick of the week pick of the week 
Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be coronavirus-related necessarily. Better not be. we just non-stopped already. <laughs> and my Pick of the Week this week, because I wanted something fun. I wanted something light. A lot of us are at home. and What, after talking about buttholes? You wanted to go something a little lighter? Oh, gosh. I was I was talking about a very serious biometric uh-huh. privacy concern, uh-huh. role, A new form of two-factor authentication. Anyway, the thing <laughs> is that someone on Reddit or somewhere like that, they said to me, keep the recommendations for fun Nintendo Switch games coming. And so I thought, all right, I'll do that. Because let's spread a little bit of joy when everyone's, everyone's stuck at home with their family, trying to keep everyone entertained. And that is why I can recommend to you a game which is available for just about every platform under the sun, not just the Nintendo Switch. And it is called Totally Reliable Delivery Service. Okay, that sounds like a barrel of laughs. Well, actually, it would be now. They get to go outside, don't you? <laughs> Totally totally Reliable Delivery Service is a physics-based multiplayer comedy game about a terrible delivery (laughs) service and being a terrible delivery driver. And if you've ever played a game, what these sort of ragdoll-based games or these games like um, Human Full Flat, is that what it's called? This is a game where basically you're sort of in control of somebody's body and it's like you decide when they move their arms or if they're holding on to something and they're grabbing okay. things. And you can play it with your friends <laughs> and you pick up parcels and all you have to do is deliver them to the place they're meant to go. And mayhem results. It is very, very funny. Before you know it, you're hanging on to the edge of a biplane while your friend is trying to fly the plane to get the package to a certain place in time. You're falling (laughs) over everything. Everything's crashing, smashing up. It's hilarious fun. Is it more fun than undercooked or overcooked or it's whatever. It's actually quite similar in a way to overcooked. Not as frustrating as overcooked, because overcooked, I think, can destroy marriages. <laughs> uh, totally reliable delivery service. I, I found it slightly less infuriating. <laughs> you don't you don't go the full um, Gordon Ramsay, but it's very, very enjoyable. And I can confirm it's very difficult to fly a helicopter. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> that is my recommendation this week. Virtually. Don't assume you can fly a helicopter. Oh, no, now. no. no. So, absolutely, I, I, I believe it is difficult in okay, real good. life as well. I believe it's slightly complicated. This game has confirmed to me that I am not a natural helicopter pilot. So my recommendation, my pick of the week is Totally Reliable Delivery Service. All right. I'll add it to my Switch list. Yeah. David, what's your pick of the week? Well, my pick of the week homeschooling yay uh, we've certainly been homeschooling over the last Good couple of weeks you. juggling doing normal work and schoolwork, and it's been great fun there are some great online resources everyone knows that joe wicks has been doing a pe class every morning at nine o'clock and it's had you know yeah. millions of views and that's all good but i want to highlight another one that actually we found very very handy from an educational point of view the kids absolutely love it and it's called let's go live with maddie and greg now uh, uk tv viewers may well know Maddie Moat from her CBeebies television show, Do You Know? Well, Maddie's Do You Know? And that's uh, it's it's a science programme for kids who are, you know, up to the age of maybe six or seven or eight or so. But I've certainly enjoyed watching it. Um, Greg Foote is also a, a kind of science presenter. Blue Peter does their science experiments and things. They've come together to do this daily live show at 11 o'clock where they explore 
science and nature and it's full of makes it's full of live camera feeds it's got guests on it it's from their spare bedroom but it's absolutely brilliant i love maddie i love greg and my kids love watching them and, and making the makes uh we've got models all over our house we've got bird feeders outside i think uh yesterday or today they were doing scale models of the solar system but using bits of fruit and other things lying around the house it's cool. it's, it's great every day uh, 11 o'clock on YouTube and obviously available to watch on demand thereafter. But send them photos, engage with them. That's great. And I think, I mean, one thing that this whole thing has brought out is lots of people putting their stuff out online and sharing their knowledge, sharing their skills. Uh, and certainly from a parent's point of view, there's so much there for kids to engage with. I'm just watching this right now. Um, and um it, it looks quite funny. No, it looks quite professionally done and all the rest of it, the cuts and the... Um, are Maddie and Greg a couple? You said it's their spare bedroom, right? I'm thinking they're awfully close to each other, so they must be... Better friends than you and I are, Graham. That's all you need to know. Is well, that exactly. what you're worrying about? <laughs> it's... They are engaged, and I think that's public oh, knowledge. I, th- I think they put out a video on uh, YouTube oh, okay. a couple of years ago. So, uh... Oh, okay. Carol, what's your pick of the week? I've not been sleeping so well these days, and uh, that means I've been listening to lots of podcasts, right? It's like on a catch-22. <laughs> it's like, I'm listening to podcasts. Is that preventing me from sleeping? Or am I listening to podcasts because I can't sleep? Um, however, either way, my eyes get rested while I listen to podcasts. That's why podcasts rule. So I've been listening to this podcast called Power Corrupts. Now, Graham, I did send it to you, and I said, you better listen, you better listen, you have to listen, you have to listen. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've listened to a bit of one episode. Oh, right. So, that good, eh? Well, no, no. I, I was just had to do something else. But it was I enjoyed what I heard. So, it's hosted by Dr. Brian Class. He's a political scientist and a columnist for the Washington Post. And this podcast is in its second series. I actually didn't listen to the first series yet, so I kind of did it in reverse. Listen to the full second series, and I'm going to go back and listen to the first okay. one. But it touches upon smuggling and ransoms and election riggings and assassinations and heists and money laundering, disinformation and propaganda. So it's just fascinating. The interviewees are top class. The information is pertinent for today. And it's honestly made me wiser about the world. Mm. There's this one episode called uh, Godfather of Fake News. And he interviews this guy who is effectively an American troll. Like, like proud, proudly spewing out fake news all the time. And he is very proud and happy to it. And he makes a living at it. And he feels he's doing it for the good of the people because he's showing them they're stupid. And it is just really hard to listen to. But also, you know, because you can't interrupt, (laughs) you can get another point of view on things and it can kind of help change the way you might deal with it should you meet someone like that. Anyway, fascinating. So boy, listen to boy. it. It's 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 impertinent for now, especially those of us that are facing elections and uh, facing uh, political disruptions. It's a good way to educate yourself. So Power Corrupts by Brian Class is the podcast. Fantastic. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week. Whoa, whoa. Remember to stay put, guys. We have a special feature interview with Barry McMahon from Log Me In, the people behind LastPass. David, thank you so much for joining us once again. I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online. What is the best way for folks to do that? 
If I were you, I would go to Twitter at David McClelland. All the C's, all the L's, and a couple of L's chucked in for good measure. <laughs> and you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter allows to have a G. And on Reddit as well, if you want to go and join the Smash Insecurity subreddit. And don't forget, if you want to make sure you never to miss another episode, subscribe in your favourite podcast apps such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Pocket Casts a bajillion thank yous for listening to us you are keeping smash security alive by listening to us each week like literally we thank you <laughs> from the bottom of our hearts and we hope that you and yours are keeping safe check out smashingsecurity.com for past episodes sponsorship details and information on how to get in touch with us until next time cheerio bye 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 everyone bye stay safe Oh, yeah, sorry. So, McMahon, how do I say your last name? (laughs) Here, you should open with that. You should open with that. So, how do I say your last name? Because, you know, even though I spent time in Ireland, it's a difficult one for me. Depends. It depends. So, in the States, they call me McMahon. Okay. In Europe, I suppose, English-speaking Europe, it's called McMahon. I've listened. I've I've answered to a lot worse, don't worry. If If your dad were angry with you when you were a kid and he used your full name, how would he have said it? I can't, I can't, couldn't repeat the things that my father's called me in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should introduce yourself because this is the first time that you've been on the show and we've invited you on here because you work at Log Me In, you know, the last pass parent company. And so maybe you can just give a little introduction on like what you do there and all that. I am a international product marketing manager uh, within Log Me In. Uh, business unit that I work in and that I predominantly focus on is identity and access management. I work very closely with colleagues based in Australia um, and all across our European markets as well. You're going to have a really unique perspective on what everyone in the world right now is dealing with, is this kind of shift from working in an office with lots of people where they we encourage community to being isolated working from home and all the security issues that come with that. So um, y- you must have seen a huge shift even in your office when all this kicked off. Yeah, like, yeah, like the, the shift has been huge, right? Um for different parts of the workforce, um, you know, they will have started a career in Log Me In, and they may have always been office-based, and so therefore, working from home is a totally different thing. For myself, you know, brand new, and and for others, they've joined Log Me In, or they've been in other organisations where you know part of their routine was working from home or being very highly mobile. Um, so less office space. So, you know, different people with different disciplines, um, different behaviors um, need different things. Um, and then you add in the mix, add into the mix for all of that, then family life, right? Because, you know, I have I have two small kids here, so they may make a guest appearance at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, myself and my wife, we work, we both work full time. Both of us are working now remotely and we're both juggling two kids as well. So it's, it's very, very different. So literally overnight things have changed. Um, and that's put a lot of strain on, 
on a lot of different aspects, not just the organization, not just what the employee needs to do, but also on family life as well. Absolutely. So, so, so companies are approaching this in different ways. I mean, obviously, from an organizational point of view, companies are going to be like, we need to try and stay afloat as long as we can through this crisis, ride the wave as ethically and morally as we can. Others, of course, are going to kind of <laughs> scramble and run, right? But for those good companies out there who are trying to do the right thing, there's a, you know, there's a mountain of stuff that they need to think about. Because as you were saying, you know, you have worked at LastPass and you, they already have some policy for work at home remote workers. They've been practicing this policy forever. So, so, but there's so many companies now that are doing it for the very, very first time and they want to get it right. LastPass is uniquely positioned because some of the stuff you guys work on actually can help. You know, it makes it more secure and makes it easier for the user. Three weeks ago, everybody, or for most people, were still based in the office. Now everybody's based at home. So the, the security perimeter or the security boundary is now sitting at the kitchen table, not sitting at the office, not sitting at the desk in the office, um, or wherever you can get a nice quiet place in your own home these days. So, you know, we, we're, we're seeing a lot of that happening. Now, next, coming very quickly behind that um, is security and trust, right? So strategy for a lot of security leader, leaders has actually, you know, taken a backseat. That's put on the shelf at the minute because this is totally unprecedented. A lot of security leaders are going to be playing catch-up what we've been working with organizations in LastPass for the last couple of years has been to help organizations build a culture of um, trust, build a culture of awareness, um, and build, build a culture of understanding why it's important to be more cyber security uh, aware and be more vigilant about what you click on, what you download, etc. That's such a good point because I remember now this was a, you know a few years ago, maybe six or seven, but I was working for a company which and they had provided me a laptop and I was on a remote location. It was the first time I was outside of the main network. And I couldn't connect for like an hour because of all the different blocks that they put in to ensure that the system was safe. And I got so frustrated, I went out to an Apple store and bought my first MacBook. <laughs> so, so you're right, adding friction can almost force employees to find workarounds that the organization may not think is great. Well, I always say, right, if you want to see how, how technically literate your employees are, Put up roadblocks to them doing the job that they need to do, and they will find a way around it. They will be as innovative as anything, right? So, you know, if you put the roadblocks up, you're not going to bring people on the journey with you. And so flipping to to the organization perspective, right, the organization now is going to be playing catch up in terms of we need to deploy solutions. We need to deploy them fast. We need to be able to configure them. We need to be able to implement policies, and we need them to scale because this isn't just going to be a domestic problem, a challenge, I should say. It's a, it's, a, it's a global challenge that organizations will have. And so how do, you ha- how do you knit the end user experience with the security challenges that are happening today and make sure that everything is frictionless the whole way through? And that's always been the, the big challenge for security leaders, right? Typically, they want to put something in place for all the right reasons, and the end users go, this is just too restrictive. We can't use it. But now security leaders are having to evaluate these tools to go, okay, if we don't do this the right way, we don't have any control here and we won't, we won't have any influence. And so that's why you're starting to see um, a lot more 
and and this isn't new. It's just been accelerated uh, given the coronavirus um, uh, situation we're in. But now you're starting to see multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, and, and, and password management now as well, right? So you, what you're trying to do, what the security leaders are trying to do, is they're trying to meet people where they are, right? They're at home. You're trying to meet them where they're comfortable with the tools that they're using, i.e. their tablet, their desktop, or whatever it may be. And so if you can help them use them tools and help them be productive, but then also at, in the back end, ensure that that they that they're secure and that then by association the byproduct of that is that your organization will be secure then you've significantly reduced the risk profile that you know you're you may be exposed to now in this whole new world of operating Mm -hmm. since the coronavirus started like look any big story anything that people are interested in you can be guaranteed there's always going to be some sort of a scam associated with it right because Everybody wants to click on it, and everybody wants to be up to date. So, if there's if there's news, look, this isn't new, right? Phishing has been around forever and a day, and the reason it's still around is because it still works. People still click on things, um, and therefore, if they still click on them and they enter in their credentials, guess what? The 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 scammers have got what they needed. So, with cor- coronavirus, is no different. We've just seen. A significant amount of scams increased. Click on this link, please. You know, even I've seen a recent one for um, for a home delivery service saying that um, you're, you know, you you were short in the amount that you paid to get the parcel delivered. Can you please click on this link to um, to to complete the payment? Do you know what though? I I'd argue though that coronavirus is different because I can't think of any time in history where the entire world was able to talk in real time about a single topic that was of interest, of primary interest to every single, you know, nation and location. Like it's, it's kind of a create, so it's almost like it's going to, you know, the coronavirus phishing attacks, attacks normally would maybe be uh, language specific or regionally specific. Whereas here, you, your net could be extremely wide. Oh, you're, you're, you're a hundred percent right there. Uh, your, your net is a global net. Now uh, there's no, yeah. there's nobody, there's nobody who doesn't want to click on some interesting story about coronavirus. Right, exactly. and that 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 may be for a cure, or it may be to find out, you know, who in your neighbourhood has coronavirus, or whatever it is. Right, um, there, there's nobody not going to click on something like that. But so we're all vulnerable. Everybody's vulnerable from that perspective. Problem is, is that when people click on it, um, you know, from a LastPass perspective, you click on that link, and it may look like your bank account website. It may look like your national delivery service website it may look like your health insurance website and um, but it's not right and, and that's the key thing it's not but it, if you're having to remember your passwords and reusing your passwords you're just going to put in whatever information they ask for LastPass will check the url and if the url doesn't match what you have in your vault well guess what it's not going to auto populate and so straight away you know people will go hmm that's a little odd same with uh, single sign-on, right? There's there's applications that when people were in the office, um, they would have always been logging into, and you know because you're in the office and because you're on our network, well, guess what? You know it's we we can let you in. It's fine. Um, the beauty of single sign-on and the simplicity of single sign-on is is that now for all of these applications that people typically have to remember passwords for, you can put them all just behind one wall, and so it's. It's simple, it's secure, you have the one password to access all of them applications. 
the security teams now aren't they're not able to go around in the office and, and talk to people and help people and whatever else. So, you know, unless they want a deluge of more support tickets coming into their desk, what do they need to do? They need to make it simplistic and intuitive. And that's not to say that the, that the solution needs to be less secure. The solution can be really secure. It just means that you need to make sure that the user experience is nice and slick. You're an expert here. What advice do you have for them to try and uh, control their work environment so that, you know, the kids don't get on the systems or, um, you know, and they make sure that their work stays safe and clear? You know, everybody's trying to share the same Netflix account, maybe across multiple devices or whatever the case might be. People are trying to log into different applications at different times. Your broadband is probably uh, maxed out to the last um, and you're trying to, you know, everybody's trying to work and everybody's trying to uh, have their own social time as well. So, you know, a few few tips I would have would be um, try to, uh, if if you don't already, right, if you don't already, I would say um, download LastPass. Um, Download the the family's version of LastPass uh, if you're uh, in the home. And, uh, and add the different applications that you use to that and different devices that you use to that. So be it your, um, be it some of the elements from your connected home, be it your uh, Wi-Fi router, be it your different applications that you stream material through online, add them into that. And that way then everybody has the password that they need to hand whenever they want to access anything. Um, and, you know, what's, what's the benefit of that, you might ask? Well, the benefit of that, you might ask, would be that you don't have uh, one child uh, um, fighting with another child because they've changed the password on Netflix and won't tell them what it is or change the password on something else and tell them what it is. So at least that way, then, everybody has accessed everything that they need. All passwords and all usernames and whatever else uh, passwords can be, can be unique. Um, and, you know, if you start that at home and that good practice at home, then, you know, for for the parents in the house and the working people in the house, um, maybe bring that up a level um, and and use that yourself within within your own office environment, right? You would not believe the amount of people who are resetting passwords right now because the post-it notes that they had their passwords stored on are where? They're in their office on the screen or stuck under the keyboard in the office. And so, you know, how are you trying to remember these things now? So starting afresh, why not just, you know, download LastPass and start populating your stuff in there as well. Given that the workforce has changed and the workforce uh, position has changed so rapidly, so quick, um, trying, trying to get to a stage now where organizations can be secure is going to be a rapid task and that's going to be very quick. So, you know, my advice would be look for solutions that meet your need, look for solutions that are going to be easy to use, and look for solutions that that can be adopted and will be adopted uh, very heavily. Yeah. And have I would say I'd add to that I'm hoping that organizations do all this with an air of extreme empathy because I don't know of any uh, employees actually that are trying to slack off. I think all of them are stressed out and panicking about their jobs and trying to do as much as they can. But, uh, you know, there's ch- it's challenging times, as you said, with a broadband that is slower than average because everyone's hitting it at the same time and too many people in a small 
environment that wasn't designed for work. So I think the intentions in there, I love the idea of, of this software because not only does it help the organization, but it makes the life of the employee easier, which is why I'm a fan of LastPass. Oh, so I can speak for myself, my wife here. We're, we're, we're trying to be as productive as we can during normal hours and then be even, and then be even more productive outside of <laughs> normal hours, if that makes sense. So before the kids get up, try to get a bit of work in. When the kids go to bed, try to get a bit of work in. And in between, in between, we do not want to be stuck on, uh, on phones trying to get stuff sorted out with help desks. And help desks do not want us calling them. Uh, with screaming kids in the background as well because everybody's stressed out. So stuff that just works is is the order of the day for organizations now and and going into the future because this you know this is going to change how we work and how we operate in the long term. Tell me about it. Well, Barry, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'll let you get back to your extremely busy life. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> maybe some of us who've been a little bit hard-hearted in the past might actually begin to soften a little and maybe be a little friendlier and maybe a little bit nicer to our friends and our neighbours as a result of this horrible thing that's going on. Is this instead of the Grinch that sold Christmas, it's the Graham on Smashing Security? I wasn't talking about me improving, Crow. I was talking about you. (laughs) 